When I was a kid, I had a cousin who lived in Colorado. I used to always love to visit this particular cousin. He was, he was four years older than me, and he was fascinated with the Air Force and, and NASA, and he had all of these awesome uh, models that he had built uh, in his bedroom. His shelves were lined with cool jets and you know, different airplanes and space shuttles, and uh, he'd have them hanging from the ceilings. I mean, it was like walking into a wonderland for a little kid, seeing all these model airplanes and space shuttles uh, hanging around. And I remember one visit, uh, I took uh, a particular notice of these various rockets that he had lined up on his shelves. And I thought, wow, those are awesome. And uh, I wanted to, you know, take them down and, and check them out, play with these model rockets that my cousin had built. And my cousin said, Jason, wait a minute, you, you, you think these models are cool? Just watch and see what they can do. And uh, he pulled these model rockets down from the shelf and opened up his drawer, and he pulled out these little cartridges. They looked like, like big fireworks. They were, they were actually model rocket engines, and uh, they contained black powder. And, and uh, we went outside in his backyard, and he put one of these model rocket engines up inside one of these you know, two-foot-tall rockets that he had built, and he lit the fuse, and all of a sudden, this model rocket went shooting up in the sky. I mean, hundreds of feet high. And I was just blown away. Here, here I'm looking at this thing, thinking it's just a toy on the shelf, when in reality, when it had the rocket fuel in it, it became this awesome, this awesome rocket flying hundreds and hundreds of feet up into the sky. And you know, as I think about those model rockets that my cousin used to build, it, it really reminds me of, of the calling that God has given us as his people, to, to be ambassadors of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, ju just like a model rocket up on the shelf Without that rocket fuel inside of it, it's basically just a toy. It's just a piece to look at. But when you put that rocket fuel inside of it, man, that thing can blast off. And it's the same way for us as followers of Jesus. You know, a follower of Jesus, God made us, he saved us, he, he commissioned us to, to live empowered lives, to live lives that are, are boldly going out and, and explosively making a difference for the gospel. And we're not just models that God, you know, intends to have sit up on the shelf. He's also empowered us with the fuel to go out and do what he's called us to do, to be his ambassadors. And the fuel that God has empowered us with is the Holy Spirit. And we've seen that all throughout our series so far in the book of Acts. God had promised the coming of the Spirit. He had sent the Holy Spirit. He empowered the early church and every believer throughout history with the Holy Spirit so that we would have the power within us to advance the gospel to the ends of the earth. Remember, Jesus told his followers in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. That word power in the Greek is dunamis, and it's where we get our word, our English word dynamite from. Jesus is talking about you're going to receive this explosive power, and it's going to be within you. And through the power of the Spirit that I'm going to give you, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, to the very ends of the earth. 
And friends, this is what we've seen taking place so far as we've journeyed through the early chapters of the book of Acts. We've seen the fulfillment of this Holy Spirit promise, this gospel revolution empowered by God moving to the ends of the earth. Uh, if, if you recall, a couple of weeks ago, Acts chapter 8, we saw the story of Philip, the, the first of the disciples to take the gospel into Samaria. And then God took Philip and led him into a desert place, headed down towards Africa, and he encountered the Ethiopian eunuch. And then that guy took the gospel into, into North Africa. So we're seeing the gospel growing and spreading. We, we saw Saul and his traveling to Damascus to persecute the church, but he was encountered by Jesus and his life was transformed and, and Saul would go on to become the greatest missionary to the Gentile world. Today we're going to continue to see the, the advance of the gospel empowered by the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at a series of stories from, from the Apostle Peter's ministry. And today we're going to see Peter head down from Jerusalem to a town called Lydda, which is about 45 miles uh, down the mountains from Jerusalem towards the coastline. We're also going to see a story where Peter's ministering in Joppa, and then ultimately he's going to take the gospel up into Caesarea to, to the Gentiles. And we're going to see this week and next week the story of the first Gentile conversions. But friends, the point in all this is to recognize that the gospel's on the move. It's spreading, it's advancing, and it was doing so primarily through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in the lives of faithful men and women who were carrying the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now this morning, we're going to see this ongoing spread of the gospel. And we're going to see it specifically in three stories uh, through the life and ministry of the Apostle Peter. So we've, we've been looking at Stephen and Philip. Last week we saw Saul slash Paul. Today, Dr. Luke, the author of Acts, is bringing us back to Peter, who was the evangelist, the apostle to the Jews. But interestingly, God used Peter, the apostle to the Jews, to bring the first Gentiles to faith. And we're going to see, see that here today and next week. So in Peter's ministry this morning, we're going to look at three stories, and we're going to see three ways that the gospel was on the move, uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit through the ministry of the Apostle Peter. And, and the first story that we're going to see this morning is a desperate man restored through the power of the gospel by the Holy Spirit. A desperate man restored. This, uh, this first passage comes from Acts chapter 9, verses 32 through 35. Short little story, simple little story, but some powerful principles that I want to highlight for us that we see here at work through the ministry of the Apostle Peter. Starting in verse 32, Dr. Luke records for us, Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately Aeneas rose, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Peter says to this paralyzed man, Aeneas, rise and make your bed. Friends, if that's not a miracle, I don't know what is. I've been trying to get my son Caleb to make his bed for 13 years. <laughs> all right? Peter just says it once, and here's this guy rising, making his bed. But this story is really interesting because here we have just three simple verses. It's this really quick story of this, this paralytic man who was healed by the power of God through the Holy Spirit at work in the Apostle Peter. And there are three principles that I want to highlight for us about the healing of Aeneas here. 
Uh, you know, to, to, to begin, just think about what it would mean to be a paralyzed man 2,000 years ago in, in a small country town like Lydda. I mean, this guy was in a desperate condition. Uh, to be paralyzed like this was, was essentially a death sentence. To not be able to care for yourself, to, to be dependent on others. I mean, he would live his life as a beggar. Uh, he was dependent on his family, his friends, whoever, to provide basically everything for him. Uh, it was a very desperate place to be. And we don't know the whole backstory behind it, but for whatever reason, Peter, led by the Holy Spirit, felt called to go and, and speak healing into this man's life. And, and this man rose and he walked again. There are three principles that I want to highlight out of this story of Aeneas that I, I think are really important for us to recognize today. And, and, and the first principle that we see here in this passage, in this simple passage, number one, God's promises are trustworthy and true. Where do we see that here in the healing of Aeneas? Well, friends, what we see here in the healing of Aeneas is God fulfilling his Old Testament promises about the coming of the Holy Spirit. If you remember back in the Old Testament, passages like Joel chapter 2, 28 through 32, God had promised his people that one day he would send the Holy Spirit. Now, they had no concept of what that meant, but, but through prophets like Joel, God had promised the coming of the Spirit. And he said that through the coming of the Spirit, miraculous things would take place. Signs and wonders on the earth would take place. And so here in the healing of the paralytic, we're seeing one more fulfillment of God's Old Testament promises of what would happen when the Holy Spirit comes. We, we've seen the Holy Spirit do miraculous things throughout our journey in the book of Acts so far. And this stuff was novel. This, these kinds of things hadn't happened before through God's people, average, ordinary people, inspired, empowered by the Spirit, being called by God to, to touch people and to heal people. And so here again, we're seeing God's promises fulfilled. And friends, here's the point that we need to understand. When God speaks, he keeps his word. Okay, When, when he makes a promise hundreds of years earlier through a prophet like Joel... God ultimately brought fulfillment to that promise. God always keeps his word. He's faithful. He's true. We can trust him. Out of the hundreds of prophecies found in the Bible, not one of them has ever failed. Isn't that amazing? Hundreds of prophecies given hundreds, sometimes thousands of years early, earlier, and God has fulfilled each and every one of them. Now, now, here's why I get excited about that, because we have a number of prophecies in the New Testament that haven't yet been fulfilled. We have promises from God where he says that I am coming again. Jesus is going to return. And when Jesus returns, he says, I'm going to establish my kingdom over this whole earth. And Jesus is going to rule and he's going to reign in righteousness. And he says there's going to be no more death and no more sickness and no more crying and no more pain. The old order of things will pass away. Behold, all things are going to be made new. Now, friends, if God is faithful in keeping promises like this, don't we have great hope and reason to believe his promises for the future that we still wait for today? I think we have great hope in those promises. We have great reason to be confident in those promises because God has faithfully kept all his promises throughout history. You know, when we look at the evil in our world today, when we look at the, the disintegration of the, the, the Christian culture that we have so long enjoyed, and we see people straying from the Lord more and more. 
Friends, we hope in those promises that the Lord is going to return. He's coming again. He's going to make all things new. And we can trust him. The, the second principle that we see here in the healing of Aeneas is that God can and does heal people. We have a God who heals. Isn't that amazing? We have a God who heals. God is sovereign over sickness. He's sovereign over disease. He's sovereign over infirmity. As the theologian R.C. Sprawl once said, there is no maverick molecule if God is sovereign. No maverick molecule if God is sovereign. Friends, what this means is there is no cancer cell, there is no missing chromosome, there is no defective DNA sequence at all anywhere in the world that is outside of God's sovereign providential will. God is in control. He knows about it all. None of it's a surprise. And because there are no maverick molecules, because God is sovereign and in control of all things, friends, because of that, he can also heal all things. He can restore all things. He can raise a paralytic. He can raise the dead. He can restore blind eyes. Our God is sovereign over this whole world. And because God is sovereign over sickness and infirmity, because God is sovereign over our health and can heal, friends, the Bible tells us that we should pray. We should take our cares and concerns to the Lord. Passages like James chapter 5, 13 through 15. Is any one of you suffering? Let him pray. Is any one of you cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is any one of you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The Bible tells us, friends, that when we are sick, when we are suffering and hurting, that we should pray. Why pray? We pray because we have a God who heals. We have a God who restores. And friends, understand this. God can use any means he desires to bring about restoration. Sometimes God heals miraculously, like, like Peter touching Aeneas and raising him up from, para, from, 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 from paralysis. Sometimes God's healing comes through the means of modern medicine. He uses doctors and nurses and science and technology. But God is a healing God. I, I remember, you know, four years ago when my wife was first diagnosed with breast cancer. We prayed we prayed for a miracle. We, we brought the elders to our home and they prayed over Kim and they anointed her with oil. But you know what? God didn't give us a, a miraculous healing like, like just supernaturally removing her tumor. But you know what? God was faithful in healing her through the means of modern medicine. And we praise him for that. We give thanks for that. God is a faithful healer. And so we go to him in prayer. But friends, we also need to understand that we need to trust the Lord. We need to trust his sovereign wisdom when it comes to our prayers for healing. Because sometimes, sometimes like, like God responded to the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, sometimes God simply says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is going to be made perfect in your weakness. You know, we don't always get the healing that we ask for. We don't always get the miracle in the way we want. And, and the reality is sometimes God simply says, I want you to learn to trust me through this. But you know what? I'm going to give you so much grace that each and every day you're going to experience my presence. You're going to experience my power. And I may not heal you or resolve the issue that you're bringing to me. But I promise I'm never going to leave you. 
and I'm never going to forsake you. See, we don't always get the miracle, friends, but we do always get his presence and his promises. I, I remember 10 years ago or so when my grandpa, my grandpa Krauss, was dying of stomach cancer. Stomach cancer is one of the most painful ways to die. And I remember the, the last weeks of his life visiting him in the hospital as he was just in agony. And he was in so much pain, but in the midst of his pain, as we prayed for deliverance, as we prayed for a miracle, I'll tell you what, we didn't get the miracle, but we saw God's power and presence in my grandpa's life in incredible ways. We saw God's grace being sufficient for my grandpa, grandpa in incredible ways. And we spent those final days of my grandpa's life reading scripture together and singing psalms together, singing hymns together. And my grandpa had an overwhelming peace that passes all understanding because God promises my grace is sufficient for you. Sometimes God heals and sometimes God just says, I will be with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. The, the third principle we see in the healing of Aeneas here is that miracles are always meant to point people to Jesus. Why, why does God perform miracles through his church, through his apostles, through people like Peter? He always performs miracles, friends, to point us to Jesus, the risen, reigning king of the universe. Peter understood that, and we too need to understand this. You see, Peter, his priority wasn't going about in a healing ministry. A healing ministry wasn't Peter's priority, that's why Peter was never known as a healer. Do you ever notice that when you read the stories of Peter in the Bible, right? Peter healed all kinds of people, but nowhere do they call him a healer. What titles are Peter given in the Bible? He's given the titles of apostle, of missionary, of evangelist, of pastor, right? Why those titles? Because for Peter, the miracles weren't the thing. Jesus was the thing. The advance of the gospel was the thing. That was his priority, it was always about pointing people to Jesus. And so here in the story of Aeneas, right, Peter raises Aeneas from paralysis, but in raising Aeneas, Peter had the opportunity to point people to Jesus as the source of this miracle. It wasn't about the miracle. It was about pointing people to Jesus. He's the one who heals us not only physically, but heals us of our even greater burden, our spiritual separation from God. And so what do we see happen here in the town of Lydda? Aeneas is raised, but the whole town comes to see this miracle. And the Bible tells us here in Acts chapter 9 that scores of people, the whole town, came to faith in Jesus as a result of this miracle. How did that happen? Well, we have to read between the lines, but it's very obvious that Peter shared the gospel. He shared about the source of the power that raised Aeneas, and people were saved. See, friends, it's always about the gospel. That was the point for Peter, the point for the early church. The gospel and the advance of the gospel is always our first calling. It's not about miracles. It's not about good deeds and good works. It's about advancing the message of the gospel, the news that people most need to hear, that we are separated from God in our sins that we are broken and that we are rebels against God. 
but that God can restore us, that God can bring us back into his presence. And, and he offers us that forgiveness, that, that reconciliation through his son, Jesus Christ, who shed his blood on the cross to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That was the point of Peter's ministry. It wasn't the miracles. And so we too, friends, can learn a lesson in that. The gospel has to be our first priority as a church. It's so easy for churches and Christians to get sidetracked with, with good things, but not the greatest thing. It's so easy for churches and Christians to get sidetracked serving the Lord in social justice and working for the poor and building homes and you know all kinds of great ministries, good ministries, ministries we're called to, but we substitute those ministries for sharing the gospel and we make a big mistake in doing that, friends. They go hand in hand. God empowers us to do those works so that we can communicate the most important message people need to hear. That there's a God who loves you, who sent his son to restore you, who's made a way for you to be forgiven and cleansed and new in Jesus Christ. Friends, that has to be our priority. Sadly, today there are so many Christians that spend their lives pursuing signs and wonders. Their, their whole lives are wrapped around pursuing the next great miracle or work of God. And, and they end up completely ignoring our call to share the gospel. I remember I had a, a friend in college, his name was Eric, and his parents were hugely wrapped up in the charismatic movement. And, and they had spent their whole Christian lives traveling literally around the world, chasing after faith healers and prosperity gospel teachers who promised health and wealth and miracles. And, and these guys, his parents, they literally would go from one place to the next following these various faith healers because they wanted to see the signs and wonders. They wanted to see the next great miracle. But friends, understand the signs and wonders divorced from the gospel are like junk food. Okay, Signs and wonders, they'll give you the quick rush, but they can't satisfy you for the long haul. You know, my, my favorite candy bars are Snickers, you know? And what's Snickers' slogan? Snickers really satisfies you. Friends, that's not true. It's not true. I've tried it. It'll satisfy you for like a half hour. But they always leave you wanting more. And that's what signs and wonders do, friends. When we, when we build our whole faith around the pursuit of signs and wonders, you end up with a superficial faith that quickly fails when the trials of life appear and you don't get the miracle you prayed for. See, friends, Jesus is always enough. Jesus' power and his presence and his grace and his promises, Jesus is always enough. And if Jesus isn't enough for you today, friends, you probably have the wrong Jesus because the sovereign king of the universe who promises his presence and power no matter what we go through. He's always enough. Well, we have a second story in our passage today. In Acts chapter 9, 36 through 43, we see the story of the gospel moving in power through Peter's ministry in a deceased woman who is raised. Let me read this passage for us here, starting in verse 36. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come with us, come without delay. 
So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other things, other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside, and he knelt down and he prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling all the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Here we see the gospel moving in power through a deceased woman who is raised from the dead. We're told the story here of this woman named Tabitha. The, the Greek translation of her name was Dorcas. But Tabitha had passed away, and the whole town was in mourning. Here was a disciple of the Lord, we're told, a faithful woman of God who spent her life serving Jesus by serving his church. And when she had died, we see evidence of this as the whole town is there gathering in mourning. And when Peter shows up, the other widows that Dorcas had served are there showing Peter all of the things that she had made, all of the good things that she had done on their behalf. Friends, what a model for us, right? I mean, can you imagine? What, what a great eulogy. My, my, my name, my story ended up in the Bible because I was so faithful in serving Jesus and serving the people in my community. But this was a beloved woman of God, and her friends couldn't do without her. She laid there dead, and, and they so wanted her restored to life that they sent for Peter 12 miles away, hoping, praying, believing that maybe God could restore Tabitha's life. Peter shows up, and once again, through the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit, Peter raises Tabitha to life. And we're told again, just like in the story of Aeneas, that many saints, many people came to believe in the Lord as a result of this miracle. I, I want to highlight two truths that we see here in the story of Tabitha's resurrection. The, the first truth that we see in this story this morning is that the gospel brings life and renewal. The gospel brings life and renewal. There's a very interesting, often overlooked statement in this story. In verse 41, Luke tells us that after Tabitha sat up, Peter gave her his hand. He gave her his hand and raised her up. Now friends, what's so significant about that? What was so significant about that act of Peter giving her his hand? Is that a dead body in the Jewish faith and the Jewish religion was considered ceremonially, ritually unclean? If you were to touch a dead body, you too would be defiled. You too were now outside of God's will and had to go through a whole series of, of acts to restore yourself to be, to be clean again. And so no one would touch a dead body, and yet here is Peter raising her from the dead, and the first act he does is he takes her hand. He takes her hand, showing that Tabitha had been made whole and clean through Jesus Christ. Not only alive physically, but whole and clean spiritually through the power of Jesus Christ. Friends, when God brings healing, when he changes a life, he brings full renewal. He brings full wholeness. He brings full restoration. 
I remember back when I was a youth pastor, we were on a winter retreat, and the speaker on the Saturday evening of our weekend retreat gave a powerful gospel message. Kids were, kids were just weeping, broken, having been confronted by their sins and, and their need for Jesus as their Savior. At the end of the night, after a bonfire time, a, a young lady came up to me with one of our female leaders, and she said, Jason, can I talk with you? And this young lady, her name was Amy, she just broke down weeping, crying in front of me. She went on to share that she had lost her virginity the year before with her boyfriend. And over the course of the last year, she had continued sleeping with her boyfriend because she felt like I've already so dishonored God and his will, what's the point in worrying about it any further? And on this particular night, her sin had just become so real to her that she was broken, she was ashamed, she was weighted down with the burden of guilt. She needed God's healing touch. She needed to know that there's a God who loves her, who can restore her, who can bring her back to a place of wholeness and restoration. That night I shared with Amy some powerful truths conveyed in Scripture, truths like 2 Corinthians 5.17, where the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I shared with Amy that night, 2 Corinthians 5.21, where, where Paul goes on and he says, For our sake, God, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin. Jesus, who knew no sin, God made him sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And I said to Amy, Jesus took your sin upon himself when he died on that cross. He saw who you were. He saw what you've done. And he took that sin and that shame and that guilt and he nailed it to the cross. He bore that sin in your place. So that now, Amy, through repentance and trusting in Jesus, you too can become the righteousness of God. And what that means is God no longer sees your sin, but he sees the perfection of Jesus at work in your life because of what Jesus has done for you. Friends, it's like that great hymn, Jesus paid it all. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. You see, that's what Jesus does when he brings transformation into a person's life. He not only brings healing, but he brings total and complete wholeness and restoration. You're not just a forgiven person. You are a new creation in Jesus Christ. When Peter took Tabitha by the hand, he was saying to everyone around, she's not only risen, she is now whole in Jesus Friends, if you have strayed from the Lord, if you've been caught up in sin and, and rebellion, if you're struggling today with guilt and shame, no matter what it is that has caused you to stray from the Lord, you too can experience God's grace and forgiveness. You too can experience the healing power of God's full and total renewal and restoration through Jesus Christ. You call to him, you trust in him, you believe in his power to forgive, and you too can be made a new creation. Just like Jesus to the woman caught in adultery, 
brought her back. He restored her and he said, go and sin no more. My friend Amy that night, God did a transforming work in her life. Today, it's incredible what God had done with this woman who was so broken and so desperate. Amy went on to pursue the Lord faithfully from that day forward. She ended up going to Trinity University, our, our denominational school. She met a guy. They're today serving in a Christian sports ministry on a secular college campus out east. She's sharing the hope of Jesus with other young women who too are desperate and broken. That's what the transforming power of Jesus does. The, the second truth that we see highlighted in the, in the resurrection of Tabitha is a great truth. Friends, death holds no fear for followers of Jesus. God has the power over the grave. As followers of Jesus, we need not fear death. Tabitha's resurrection is nothing less than a foreshadowing of the great hope that every disciple of Jesus shares. That one day we too will experience resurrection. You know, God's normative pattern in this world isn't to raise the dead. In fact, Tabitha's resurrection is one of only a handful of resurrection stories in the whole Bible. More often than not, resurrection, like we see in the Gospels and in the book of Acts, point us to the hope of our future resurrection. And the great promises that God has given us, promises like John eleven twenty five, 25, where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Friends, God's promised us when we put our trust in Jesus, we need not fear the grave. Because through Jesus and his resurrection power, we too can know the hope of eternal life. The Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.8, to be absent from the body is to be instantaneously at home with the Lord. If you know Jesus Christ, friends, like the Apostle Paul, you can say, I too would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. This earth is not our home. We're just temporary residents passing through. One day, every single one of us will meet the grave. But the grave is not the end for a follower of Jesus. To be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 55, when our perishable bodies put on the imperishable, when we're clothed with our new heavenly bodies and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Friends, I can tell you this, one of the most curious things you will witness in this world is the funeral service of someone who dies as a follower of Jesus Christ. If you've ever been to the funeral of a Christian, friends, it's a very different thing. It's a very curious thing. And there's sadness, and there's grief, and we mourn because we miss the person who's gone. But at the same time, we know that a person who dies in Jesus Christ, they've been swallowed up in victory. They've been clothed with immortality. To be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. And so while there's sadness, there's also rejoicing and victory. I, I shared with you how just a couple weeks ago, I went to a funeral up in northern Minnesota for my mom's best friend. 
She had recently passed away of cancer. Friends, her funeral service was the most incredible thing I've ever seen. We spent an hour, it was a praise and worship service, the whole service. They, they read a eulogy, the pastor gave a short message, but the whole thing was a big praise and worship service for an hour. They had the church's praise band up there and we sang hymns and songs and praises to God for over an hour. People were crying, but we were weeping tears of joy, rejoicing, knowing that our beloved friend is with Jesus today. Friends, for followers of Jesus, we need not fear the grave because God has promised us the same resurrection power that brought Jesus back from the dead is going to be alive in us. If you don't have that assurance of eternal life today, friends, you can. You too can put your trust and hope in Jesus. And you too can know with certainty that one day when you take your final breaths in this world, God too will raise you to life. And it's through the power of Jesus. When we confess our sins, when we ask him to be the Lord of our lives, when we put him on the throne of our hearts, you can leave here today with that great hope, that assurance of eternal life. The third thing we see in our passage this morning the gospel moving in power, we see the beginnings of a story about a devout Gentile who is reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. How many of you have ever wondered about what happens to people who've never heard the name of Jesus? You ever wondered about that? You know, that's one of the greatest stumbling blocks to faith in our world today. You know, what about the person who's never heard the name of Jesus? What about the guy out in the jungle who, who's, who really is trying to do his best? He's pursuing God, but he never gets to hear the name of Jesus. What happens to that guy? Is he going to be damned for all of eternity just because he never knew the name of Jesus? See, see, here's the issue. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. People need Jesus, friends. He's the only way to salvation. But people look at that statement and they say, well, wait a minute, that's so exclusive. That, that's so narrow. And it is narrow, friends. There is no other way. It's only Jesus. So what happens to the person who's never heard the name of Jesus? Well, the answer to that question is found in the story of Cornelius in Acts 10, 1 through 8. We're going to read just the intro, intro, introduction to this story today. And next week, we're going to finish Cornelius' story. But Luke records in verse 1 of chapter 10, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. At about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with another Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Friends, here in the story of Cornelius, we see the reality that if there is somebody who is desperately, genuinely pursuing truth, who desires a relationship with God, God will not let anything stand in the way of someone hearing the truth if they are genuinely pursuing the Lord. See, 
Passages like Acts 14, 17 have told us that God has not left himself without a witness. God has testified to his reality throughout creation. Romans 1, 19 through 20 says that we are without excuse. We see through creation the reality of a God. And if people respond by faith, Hebrews eleven six says that God will reward them who seek after him. And so if there's somebody like Cornelius who's genuinely seeking God but hasn't yet heard the name of Jesus, friends, God will make sure that they get the message that they need to hear in order to be saved. And so in Cornelius' case, God sent an angel. And the angel said, go find Peter, bring him back, and he's going to tell you the way to life. And friends, there are literally hundreds of stories I could tell you this morning about God faithfully revealing gospel truth to people who were desperately seeking him but didn't know the name of Jesus. My, my uncle, he was a pastor for 40 years in Ludington, Michigan. His church had a mission relationship with an Amazonian tribe down in the jungles of Brazil. This tribe 50 years ago had never heard the name of Jesus. They had a shaman, a, a spirit guide in their village who, who was their faith healer. And he worked with the spirits. And one night, this shaman had a vision and an angel came to him in his vision. The shaman's name was Shufoot. The angel said to Shufoot, Shufoot, there are going to be two men with white skin who are going to come into your village and they're going to have banana leaves with markings on them. And I want you to listen to what these markings say because they're going to tell you the path that leads to the true God. Well, Shufoot woke up from his vision. The next morning, he told his whole tribe about the vision that, they had seen, that he had seen. A year went by. Lo and behold, two white men come walking into the village for the first time. They'd never seen white people before. These white people had a book, banana leaves, with markings on them. And over the course of a year or two, learning the language, building up communication with these natives, they revealed the truth, the message in the book, the banana leaves written with markings. And they shared with them about the God who made them, who loves them, who has told them the way to a right relationship with him through Jesus. Today, that whole tribe is followers of Jesus. They all were saved. And friends, there are countless stories just like that from around the world of people who have encountered God because God saw their devout hearts and he got them the news they needed to hear. See, maybe God wants to use you too to reach somebody with the good news of Jesus. And those people, friends, aren't always over in the jungles of Brazil. Sometimes, like Cornelius, they're in our own backyards. But they too need to hear the message of the gospel in order to be saved. And maybe God will inspire you and use you to take the hope of the gospel to someone who needs to hear the truth. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 10, 14 through 15, how then will they call on him whom they have not heard, who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him on whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Friends, God has sent each and every one of us to go into the world as his ambassadors. He's empowered us with the Spirit. He's given us the commission, the call. You've been sent. Now it's up to us to be faithful. Let me close in a word of prayer.